hockey has returned to ESPN. The NHL is starting back up, and that means you can stream your team's games on ESPN Plus from the Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning to the brand-new Seattle Kraken. Subscribe to ESPN Plus so you don't miss a goal. Also, be sure to follow In the Crease, the ESPN NHL podcast with Linda Cohn and Emily Kaplan. That is quite a duo. Also, check out Bald Men on Campus, a new ESPN podcast hosted by Jay Billis, LaFonso Ellis, and Seth Greenberg. Those are three bald people. These ESPN basketball personalities give you an all-access pass inside the world of college basketball, talking to the biggest names in the sport. That's Bald Men on Campus. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast, where it's time for one of my favorite episodes of the year with one of my favorite guests, our annual Five Most Confusing Teams podcast with the one and only ESPN's Kevin Arnovitz. How are you, sir? I am well. Always well. This is normally when we get to talk about the Indiana Pacers and the LA Clippers and the Orlando Magic. Maybe I'm the only one that wants to talk about the Orlando Magic, but we can't because the basketball universe is conspiring to make this podcast Zach Lowe's Amateur Epidemiology Hour slash the Ben Simmons soap opera. So here we go. This morning and last night, we got two big news stories. Number one, Ben Simmons beating my over-under prediction when I took the under on November 1st over-under return date. Beats it by a month. Boards a flight. Surprises the Sixers. Hello. Popping. The irony. Ben Simmons didn't want his teammates popping in on him in Los Angeles. He pops right in on the Sixers, takes a COVID test, and he's ready to go. And then about half an hour ago, Mr. Arnovitz, the Brooklyn Nets basically kicked Kyrie Irving off their team until he gets vaccinated for COVID-19. They are prepared to go on without him. They will not accept him as a part-time player, playing only in away games, practicing only in certain locations. They basically said, forget the contract extension. Forget all that. We'll talk about that down the line, maybe someday. You want to be on our team, you're either all in or you're out, and we're proceeding without you. Kevin, I was surprised by this because my base assumption was going to be the Nets would, like like any cold calculating competitive entity would say oh you know that's cute how you guys talk about camaraderie and team spirit and all for one and one for all Kyrie Irving shot 50 40 90 last year made all NBA was the healthiest and most available of our three stars we're better with him we outscored opponents by a gazillion points per minute with our three stars we'll take 41 games of Kyrie Irving over nothing We'll just make it work. If it's game seven on the road in Milwaukee in the playoffs, you'd rather have Kyrie Irving than not have Kyrie Irving. I thought that was the way they would go despite hearing buzz that they would go the other way. And they just laid the hammer down t- today and said, all that talk about team teammates and camaraderie and chemistry, it's not BS. We mean it. Go away until you're ready to come in full time. Were you surprised? I mean, marginally. I, I think, you know, individuals have a right to make personal decisions and Basically, we've been talking about Kyrie's personal decision for the last few weeks, and groups of individuals have the right to make collective decisions. And for the first day, and really since this started, we're talking about that collective decision. And uh, it is interesting because you're right. We make the assumption that, hey, there are forces that are too profitable, too productive, too good, too interesting. Um to subject them to the normal, the norms like camaraderie and teamwork, like you said. And we've always assumed that Kyrie and NBA superstars in general are given the leeway to color outside the lines because, well, their production will compensate for whatever disruption. And 
I mean, the Knicks are going in another way. And, and I do wonder if, you know, the interesting counterfactual is if they only have one of those two other guys or Durant isn't back yet, or let's say Harden was injured now, you know, would they be willing to do it? But, but, you know, I'm looking at their depth chart and you can live with yourself at least in November, December. This is not a terminal decision at any moment. They can adjust the goalposts. Well, well, it's been a couple months and we feel, you, you know, whatever it is, you, 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 whatever determination you want to make, but I mean, yeah, it, it's a little surprising, though, given their depth. Maybe not all that surprising. And look, let me try to not be cynical for a second and say, hey, there are good people being led by good values here. Um, there is a certain ethic to camaraderie, and they mean it. And, you know, you don't get to be Kevin Durant or Sean Marks or or, or Steve Nash or James Harden um, without at least some, a modicum of commitment to those ethics. So, I mean, either way. I guess I guess I shouldn't have been surprised. I mean, look, we've been hearing rumblings about this issue for since since this ordinance went in into effect, and I kept hearing from the Nets, it'll be okay, it'll be okay. They said we're optimistic, we'll have everyone for training camp, and guess what? It's not okay. And so Kyrie Irving, as of now, is going to lose salary for every home game. He's not going to lose salary for road games. They're not going to find him for practices. I've been told they're going to lose. He's going to lose half his salary approximately if if he keeps by this stance they have expressed hope even Sean Marks today said we hope to have Kyrie back uh under different circumstances they keep expressing hope the hope keeps getting dashed um but you said you said you know this is not a terminal thing and they can live with it I I think it's I think it's potential I'd be interested to hear your take on it I think it's it's potentially true that they remain favorites to win the NBA title if they get zero out of Kyrie Irving and or they cannot trade him for anything. I, I think they were huge favorites going into the season. I talked about with this with Simmons last week. I, I think at worst, if Harden and Durant are healthy and the rest of their roster is like moderately healthy, I think they're co-favorites with the Bucks. I think the Bucks now have a, a very good chance against them in a playoff series. And it, before, I don't, don't think they have much of a chance. We'll see what the Lakers look like. I, I still think that, I mean, I think very clearly they can win the whole thing. The question is, are they still the favorites to win the whole thing? What's your answer? Well, right, and, and that's what I was suggesting. Is I, I certainly don't want to say that was an enormous or even the decisive factor in saying, hey, we'll see you when we see you. But given the depth they have, it does make it easier to kind of put Kyrie on an ice flow for a little while and say, yeah, we're still the Eastern Conference favorites. Yeah, I, I put them as a slight favor over Milwaukee. I'm kind of where you are, which is I think they were a, a – a, they gone from being a decided favorite to a measurable favorite, right? I mean, they're they're they're, and obviously with much with much less margin for error or bad performance or or anything like that. You know, margin for injury, all that. I mean, who? You know, again, I keep saying this: the three stars versus two stars thing, which the Nets were living that dilemma. They were living when they had uh, Kyrie and KD and all these young players and all these picks, and they had to decide: do we want to trade all that stuff for a third star? Or do we like this two-plus depth model, which, by the way, is a model that has won before, depending on who your big two are and what the supporting cast is. That's a great model. We've seen it win. Right. And they were all in from the, from day one on we want we want the third star, whether it's Brad Beal or whoever, or whoever comes up and it ended up being James Harden. And to me, it's an issue that I've written and talked about a lot. The trump card is always the third star. Yeah, it cripples your depth. It, you lose all your picks. You got to scrounge the minimum bin every year, screwing up your continuity and all that. The trump card to me still is it's an insurance 
against injury to one of the other two stars. Now, sometimes you still have one star that if he gets injured, you're done, no matter if, even if you have three. Like Kevin Durant's injured, you're done. That's it. I, I just think even Harden and Irving, that's not enough. But normally any of your superstars gets injured, your season's over. If you have three, you still have, as we saw last year, at least a puncher's chance, if not more. I just never thought in a million years it would be insurance against a player. I mean, no one could have envisioned this. It's ins- It ends up being insurance not against injury, really, but against a player refusing to get vaccinated during a pandemic. It's really – I just don't even believe what is going on sometimes. It's unbelievable. It's your point. I mean, if I had told you if, – if Kyrie Irving didn't exist and, and I said to you, Harden, Harris, Bruce Brown, Kevin Durant, Blake Griffin, you know, with Millsap, Mills, you know, Javon Carter – you know, Lamarcus, James Johnson. Javon Carter's good, by the way. Yeah, that's I, what I'm saying. Like, 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 and there's your second team. unit. I, I think you would say certainly NBA favorites, or not, or, or among NBA favorites. I mean, that is a that Claxton, is a James unit. Johnson. Like, these are all right, useful I even, players. I forgot about Nick Claxton, right? Like, like that. That's how deep it is. Um, I mean, they are they run even without Irving, what ten or eleven deep. So, um, yeah, they are still measurable favorites. Uh, though I still think Milwaukee is really good. I don't even think, I don't know. I, I guess I would pick them as favorites. I, I really like the Bucks. I think, I don't want to belabor this because I talked about it a lot last week. I think the Bucks turned a corner in winning the championship mentally, emotionally, even strategically. And I think they're primed for a big year and a more confident sort of at each year. I don't think they will suffer this sort of collective meltdown on offense that they suffered in the first five games of the Nets series where they just could not get out of their own way and could not just, they basically just were paralyzed with dysfunction offensively. I don't think we'll see that again. So I think it would be closer to 50-50 with the Nets and the Bucks, but that they're still one of one of the two best teams. Well, I mean, the other thing I, I would say about the Bucks is I, I trust, and look, this is always something difficult to measure, but I, I trust the Bucks' health a little more than I trust the Nets' health. And, and we've gotten to the point in this league where you almost have to put a disclaimer on every prediction, well, if healthy, right? Like, I think we're all measuring the Nets in this vacuum of, hey, if they have everybody ready to go, or if everybody is at in excess of 90%, whereas I think the Bucks tend to be more durable. I mean, Drew's become a really durable player. I mean, Giannis is Gumby, right? Chris Middleton is an Ironman. Uh, DiVincenzo will see uh, when and if he comes back but they tend to be a more durable group. So you also have to multiply the ideal version of the team you're handicapping by the probability that they'll be at 80, 75, 70, 90, 95%, whatever it is. And in that respect, I like the Bucks because I do think they're younger and more durable. Um, the next logical step, well, first of all, I mean, the Nets were very forward saying, Kevin Durant, you signed your big extension. James and Kyrie, we got yours written up, drawn up. All you need to do is sign on that. Well, get vaccinated and sign on the dotted line. We are hoping to have that done ASAP. I mean, you rarely see GMs come out as confidently as Sean Marks did about pending deals that are not done. James Harden's deal is still not done. It's unclear why, but James Harden, you know, marches to the beat of his own drummer. That's fine. He's James Harden. He can do what he wants. Kyrie Irving's extension... I don't know that that's coming. If he gets vaccinated today, I don't know if that deal's coming. I, I think this the sense I get is this has thrown the Nets for more than a loop. And and they are now sort of having this, this come-to-Jesus moment of like, can we 
to what degree can we count on this person to play even if he gets vaccinated? Like, what's next? What's next? And I don't know what happens from here, but that that brings the next logical discussion is, could you imagine a world in which they traded Kyrie Irving today? And it's easy to say, well, he's untradeable. He's untradeable because he's not vaccinated. Well, that doesn't necessarily rule him out of as many games outside of the Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York vortex. Um, and, and, you know, there's obviously been rumors, much publicized, tweeted by Nick Wright and others that he's threatened to retire if traded. So maybe he really doesn't have any trade value, right? But the Nets also, I think, if it, and Sean today came out and said, we're not even going there. We're not going there. And I, and I think he's telling the truth. I don't think they've gone there mentally. I don't think they've even begun thinking about it. I don't think they want to do it. Let's just have fun ourselves because if they ever got to that point where the situation were so bad that they tried to trade him, I don't think they're under any illusions of we're getting a star back. We're getting a mega return back. I think they would just be like, hey, look, we got James and Kevin. We got to get something for this roster spot. Like, if we can get a couple of functional role players, that's awesome. Like, we got the superstars. Let's just get something so this isn't a zero. And then you start to think, well, if that's the price, you, you, some team would surely mm-hmm. say, well, it's, it's, Ky- it's Kyrie Irving. Why not us? We got, we got nothing going for us. Let, let's take a shot. But then, Kevin, you start going through the league and it's you're like, well, the bad teams aren't doing it because what's the point for them? Um, the rebuild teams aren't doing it because what's the point for them? The good teams probably aren't doing it because they're already good for the most part. And you start to sort of whittle down the list of teams who like would actually find it worth their while to give up anything for a player that they don't even know is going to play a game for them. Did you find any, any fun fake trades for Kyrie Irving that you even like feel are remotely not crazy? I, I, remotely not crazy? Like marginally insane? So I, I chose one team. Because A, they were on Kyrie's list a few years ago as a place they might want to play. B, their roster is populated with the exact sign of players, role players, or you know, potential elite role players that you're talking about. And that's the San Antonio Spurs, right? Oh, uh, my God. What? Stop it, Kevin Artovitz. Can Why? you imagine? That would be, I didn't even think about this. The stayed... Beautiful game. Hashtag Spurs hey, it ain't culture, been beautiful for some Spurs. time, my friend. I mean, I and I and I am a, 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 a you know I, I worship at that altar, but it hasn't been beautiful for some time. So, uh, but but you know, Kyrie did identify the Spurs a few years ago as a place he you know out of Cleveland he 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 really consider. Again, they have the kind of combination of players to get to close to thirty-five million, which I think is sort of the baseline number you know, for, for a Kyrie trade. And so you could package, you know, one of the two point guards, Murray or White. Uh, hey, Spurs, pick the one you want to keep. You could throw Pirtle in there. You could throw Lonnie Walker hasn't been extended. Uh, what's his situation there? You, you could put together a combination of a first, one of the point guards. Uh, by the way, you could do one of the, I, I don't know, can, can Thad or Amino, can those contracts move before the 15th? I think they can. Not sure. But yes, one of those, you know, that, that's a 14 or a 10. But you could kind of move some, though, kind of a, one of the point guards, one of the journeymen, one of you know, Walker, and a first. And Kyrie would be a superstar in San Antonio, could conceivably play, um, though obviously they would have to be the same conversation. Because one thing that we're not talking about here, and, and you know, Baxter Holmes did a good piece a couple weeks ago, is. In part of an organization making a decision, it's not just about catering to the superstar. You have a 
you have a workplace to consider, right? Like in some ways it's a human resource issue. It's not so much about production or profitability. It is, hey, there is an assistant equipment manager that we're accountable for as an organization. There's an assistant trainer we're accountable for, the person who serves the team meal. And those people in proximity to a guy like Kareem, I mean, that's a legitimate concern. Not only is it a legitimate concern, it's a moral concern, right? And so that's, that's the other part of this that I think, yeah, you could trade him to San Antonio, you could trade him to Sacramento, you could trade him to wherever. Those same considerations come with them, whether or not there's a New York City, you know, regulation. And, and I think that that's the other thing to consider. But I, I like San Antonio as my partner. That's my big, dumb, fun, completely insane trade. If the Spurs trade for Kyrie Irving, Kevin Arnovitz, I will fly to San Antonio. Put on who's my who's my least think of like the most annoying Spurs player ever. Whoever you think I, I have to think about who that would be for me. I would buy that jersey and then I will jump into the brown stream that flows through the San Antonio Riverwalk and swim until the police or Coast Guard fish me out. That's what I will do if the Spurs trade for Kyrie Irving. Can I give you my three com- not completely I'm just trying to imagine you like hanging on the bars underneath like Margaritaville, like on commerce street or something just trying to fish your way out of, of of the what is that is that the alamo river there's no i don't know what that river's called but it's i don't know it's not but that it's, brown i it's, i remember it in my head as brown i haven't been there for a while uh, i'll i could i have to think of who what spurs jersey i would buy passion drive and patience the formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance superchargers roof racks exhaust kits led headlights and more whether you're into speed power or style ebay motors has you covered with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die you'll always find exactly what you're looking for and with ebay guaranteed fit your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from $25 and under to $100 and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Here are some Kyrie trades. Are you ready? This, again, this, we're just having fun. Are you ready for some fun ones? Um, Yes. Here's the order of fun from least fun to most fun. And I actually think these are like... None of these are plausible <laughs> to say that, but they're also like cap legal and there is a universe in which you could see them happening. Number one, let's say the heat just don't work this year. Kyle Lowry for Kyrie Irving, boom. Now it requires Kyrie Irving going to Miami, having a conversation with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and Pat Riley and Andy Ellisberg and be like, yeah, I'll play. I'll actually play basketball. Maybe I'm vaccinated by then. Maybe I'm not. I'll pl- but I'll play. 
and it, maybe you want me on your team. And it requires the Heat to have some sort of um, really bad, disappointing year. How that's not bad, right? No, I mean, we're, so this is like mid-season, the Heat are like eleven know. and fifteen kind of situation. So, uh, when John Wall and the Houston Rockets had whatever mutual agreed upon non-divorce talks they had that, you know, we're going to try and trade you. And it was like, well, John Wall, where can he, where can John Wall get traded? A lot of people brought up the Clippers and I made the theoretical case for the Clippers who have all these sort of role players like Marcus Morris and Luke Kennard. They can get to the salary easily, right? If you're just trying to take John Wall's contract and break it up into useful players on smaller contracts, the Clippers, all everyone has been shouting for years. They need a point guard. They need a point guard. They don't have a real point guard. And then I said, they're never doing this. John Wall's a broken player. The Clippers, for 9,000 reasons that I won't get into now, are not doing this. Well, I mean, you could make the same case, exactly the same case for Kyrie Irving, and that he's the point guard, superstar point guard that they've been missing around Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And those role players fit right in with the Nets. I'm just saying. It will not happen. I'm just saying. Do you want to hear the funniest one? Yes. Kyrie for Russ straight up. Reunite Kyrie and LeBron (laughs) with the Lakers. Address the spacing concerns that we're all concerned about with the Lakers. Russ comes to Brooklyn and he, he reunites with the Oklahoma City guys. Harden and Durant. They recreate... They recreate everything that they didn't get a chance to recreate. Well, they, I guess they got lots of chances to recreate it, but then it was cut short when Durant left. That's the best one. That was, I just I just don't see any any realistic trade except the one I that we've been teasing and dancing around for a while. But, hey, but that, you want to add to one. one of mine? Let's add to it. We're going to trade Serge Ibaka from the Clippers to the Nets for— Three-team trade? Just reunite well, no, the I want to get I want to get Ibaka to the Nets, too. I mean, I don't know how well he is right now. I mean, Ryuna, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. But Bring like, Perk out of retirement? Yeah, we get Cam Thomas. We'll get some. I mean, you'd have to lose. I know you like Jamon Carter. He's like, he'll need to go to the Clippers, and now they'll have like five point guards. No, we, we got to get Ibaka. If we can get Ibaka and Westbrook to the Nets, we would have four of the five. Do you think, do you think Sam Presti would release Collison, trade him to Sean Marks for an assistant GM or a personnel guy? And then we could have... That's I don't know. Yeah, we got we five. Get Derek Fisher back. We get Eric Maynard is coaching somewhere. I think maybe we can get him. Royal Ivy. He's I'm coaching. Saying, how many? He's, how he's many former Thunders somewhere. can we populate the Nets roster with? If we were to Thunderers, yeah, the Thunderer. How many former Thunderers? Um, I just don't see other than the one we're about to talk about now. I, I just don't. I don't see anything on the horizon. I still think. I still think as boring as it is, the most likely outcome is at some point Kyrie gets vaccinated and joins the Brooklyn Nets yes. and the Nets regain their status as overwhelming NBA favorites because I, and, and the, but the longer this goes, the more the frustration will grow. And by the way, Sean Marks said today, this is a Joe Sy Sean Marks decision, which I believe Joe Sy, the Nets owner, came out pretty strongly last week when the Nets were in San Diego saying, you know, I hope Kyrie gets vaccinated. I think it's very important everybody gets vaccinated, blah, 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 blah. But there is no way, 0% chance the Nets made this decision without at least going to the other important players on their team and asking, are you cool with us doing this? Zero, zero, zero percent chance. So the longer this goes, the more the frustration is going to build because there is frustration. As, as, as forgiving as they've been with Kyrie publicly, as confident as they've been that he'll do it eventually, the frustration and the impatience is building. 
And at some point, if that just boils and boils and boils for 20 games, 30 games, 40 games, at some point they'll have a meeting in the Nets offices and be like, yo, is there a trade market? And right now I just don't think there is one because no one is trading for a player if you don't know if he's ever going to play for you, which, Mr. Arnovitz, torpedoes the most appealing, the most natural, the most fun fake trade. It's like the fake trade where two sitcoms have a crossover episode and suddenly characters are appearing in, in in different settings than you've ever seen, like when The Simpsons and The Critic had a crossover episode and Jay Sherman came to Springfield to judge the Springfield Film Festival. Ben Simmons for Kyrie Irving is the trade that makes sense. Ben Simmons is in Philadelphia, Kevin, after all, oh, he'll never show up. He intends to sit out the whole season, not going to play another game, doesn't want to set foot in Philadelphia again, burned his own house down in Philadelphia just because he doesn't even want to sell it. He's light $32 million on fire. He doesn't care. He's in Philadelphia. Reported to camp. Took the COVID test. We'll see if he plays. We'll see if he practices. We'll see if he's a functional member of the team. But he's there. What was your reaction last night upon hearing Woj report that news? Well, I was just kind of amused at the notion that he kind of just showed up. And I'm imagining him as like the DoorDash guy or, or like his fob doesn't work from last season. And then like someone gets a text like, hey, man, Ben's at the facility. Like he needs to get in. And like they're sending out kind of the night guy to go let him in. Um, I, I mean, I'm not as surprised as I thought I would be because I, I think this is – I think the Simmons camps underrated the how much the impasse might hurt him, not just financially, but in terms of future prospect, right? Like, like look, any agent is out there discussing potential scenarios with other teams. They're generally empowered to do so by a front office, right? Um, when your guy wants out, you got to kind of construct, you, know, you empower the agency to sort of help facilitate a trade. Who might have interest in your guy? What might be, how might they may value him? What might they give up? And I, I just think that, you know, this isn't a situation like AD or Harden or even Mello 10, 11 years ago where, hey, Simmons is naming his destination. The organization knows that this is the moment they're going to have to rebuild. So that okay, the potential return is a series of future assets. Like Philadelphia is unique. Rarely is a guy asking out of a franchise that wants to maintain its position as a contender, right? And, and so, you know, one of two things was going to have to happen, right? His value, Simmons' value, will have to rise in order to get to a place he wants, or the market becomes flush with other talent, right? There is a counterpart, somebody, if not as good as Ben, certainly within reach of Ben, that will satisfy Philadelphia. And right now, those guys aren't on the market, right? Like Bradley Beal is not on the market. Damian Lillard is not on the market. Whichever next disgruntled star, be it Carl Anthony Towns, not on the market. And so you're stuck. And I think Simmons realizes he can't control number two. What he can do is control number one. And so the only way to kind of restore value to me is to come in, to say nothing of the millions you're leaving on the table. So when you kind of, break down the incentives at work, it kind of makes sense that he's coming back, at least reporting, at least sort of stemming that flow. By the way, I should have mentioned in, in my dream fake uh, fever dream Kyrie trades, two of them were to Los Angeles teams, and Los Angeles is now has this uh, as a similar ordinance, I think, or is adopting a similar ordinance, so they would face the same problems. So cross them off, and now we have nothing left except a standoff or maybe some sort of fever dream to be named later when the ordinances change and all that. On Simmons... Totally agree. You read the market correctly. We've been talking about this all summer. I'll tell you the first thing I thought. 
Last week, um, Chris Mannix, my friend at Sports Illustrated, wrote a story about this with, an, I believe it was an Eastern Conference general manager, an anonymous Eastern. I like how we now have to at least narrow the field down in the anonymous GM sourcing to conference. I think we should go division. That's what we, That's where the line should be drawn. An anonymous Southwest division general manager or something like that. Anyway, the general manager said some belly aching to Chris is the league can't sit back and let this happen. He's got four years left on his contract. This is a disaster. And, and we've all heard that same line from 65 different team executives over the last two months. And I get it. And we talked about it on the jump. And I said, and I think the question was framed of like, has player empowerment gone too far? Or is this a bad precedent for teams or for the league? And I said, well, wait a second, hold on. Let's see what happens. Because from from Anthony Davis, Jimmy Butler in Minnesota, Kyrie Irving going to the Cavaliers reportedly, according to Dave McMenamin, uh, and I think Joe Varden in The Athletic as well and saying, hey, I'm, I might get knee surgery and, and miss training camp in the beginning of the season if you don't trade me. Um, to Anthony Davis, if I didn't mention him, to Harden in Houston and all that. The league has been building to a moment when a player with years on his contract just says, I don't feel like playing until you trade me. Now, I always thought it would take the form of, hey, hey my back hurts, which is not dissimilar to some things that have already happened, including that Kyrie scenario. Um Hey, my back hurts. I just, you know, you, you can't prove it doesn't hurt, but it hurts. I'm not going to play. Maybe Ben Simmons should have taken that tack from the beginning. Maybe that was the smarter play because you get your money around the team and you still don't play. But the league has been building to this moment and a moment like this. And the big question was, would a team take a guy's money and would it work? The Sixers took Ben Simmons' money. Like it or not, they took his money. You're being fined for practices you missed. You're being fined for physical therapy you missed. You're being fined for preseason games, regular season games. I think it's up to like a million dollars already. We are lighting your entire $32 million salary or all of it that you didn't get because he's got that weird pay structure where you got $8.25 million of it on July 1st. So take that out. We're lighting the rest of that $24 million on fire you get nothing unless you show up and everyone thought would a team do that because is doing it gonna alienate other stars around the league and say oh that team's not player friendly uh and and would it work for a player that has lots of shoe money ben simmons has three more guaranteed years left on his contract well it it worked it it is a big reason if not the only reason why ben simmons is in philadelphia now and i think you know uh, uh, there's a lot of sort of pearl clutching about player empowerment in the NBA media. I, I've generally been pretty pro, pro player empowerment. I don't have any problem with trade requests. I think trade requests generally just balance the power between teams and players. Teams can can teams can retire a player's number in a fake ceremony to get them to resign and then trade the player willy nilly two months later, three months later, whatever. So a trade demand doesn't bother me. But I do think an NBA contract has a not implicit and explicit agreement that even if you want to be traded, even if you're unhappy, even if you hate the city, even if you hate the coach, you have agreed to receive lots and lots of money to play basketball for us and play hard. And the minute guys stop fulfilling the play basketball part, we get into a very murky area that gets us toward, in extreme cases, things that are very similar, if not out-and-out, breach of contract. And the question was, when that happened, would a team take his money and would it work? The Sixers took Ben Simmons' money and it worked. And I think everyone around the league should take a step back and say, hey, okay, this is all this hand-wringing about what a bad precedent this is. 
I don't think this is a bad precedent anymore, assuming the Sixers resolve this in some situation where he either comes back and plays well and or they trade him. I think this is actually not the system working as intended, but I think it's proof that the people worried about player empowerment run amok to the degree that it's something you should worry about. I, I think that this has been a really interesting test case why that may not be true. Well, I, I disagree with you on, on this sense. And by the way, I'm not making a normative judgment here. I think you and I come from the same place. I have no problem with trade requests. Um, to the extent that I am, quote, pro player, it's because I'm actually kind of just believe that those who drive the value of the product should have a fair amount of control over the product. And basically, pl- the superstars are not interchangeable and they're irreplaceable. So, yeah. Um, so I'm not making a this isn't a bad precedent or a good precedent. It's just a precedent. Ben's error was holding out, right? Like we saw with Harden that actually the best way to realize your goal, which is to get to the Brooklyn Nets or the Los Angeles Lakers or, um, you know, whoever is to show up. And as you said, Hey, my back hurts, or you kind of go through the motions or, you know, you just kind of, you create, and I don't want to say a toxicity, but you create the conditions where the team realizes, look, we just got to rip the bandaid off now. We just, we're going to have to eat this. We're going to have to deal them. We might have to take in a return that, that is far less um, than, than we hoped and expected, but we've got to do this. So it's not so much – I disagree with you in the sense that you can't withhold a guy's uh, – can't withhold a guy's contract. You can't set his money on fire if he's there. There's nothing preventing player X who has three years left on his rookie extension from saying – yeah, this isn't the place for me. One of the things I've been doing, Zach, the last couple of weeks is just catching up with executives around the league. And particularly those that are on the, that preside over the traditional have not franchises. I mean, what they are saying collectively is the predatory franchises, those that are the haves, those that are able to draw superstars to their market are earlier and more aggressively than ever tracking these young guys whom they suspect one day will be one of these players who says, hey, this is no longer for me. And by the way, it could be a top star in a place like Minnesota or Sacramento or New Orleans. I mean, you know, fill in the blank. Um, it, it could be waiting around for a guy on a very functional franchise like the Utah Jazz. Any place that's perceived to be a soft target. And these are franchises that are soft targets. They're in markets that, you know, in terms of perception and tradition aren't places where young guys necessarily want to build lives or all things being what they prefer not to. Uh, there are organizations that haven't, you know, won titles. Um, and that this it's whether Ben is a very unique situation, but this is the beginning. It, it's not, yes, Ben has lost for the time being because he made the error of staying away, but you can do this by not staying away. As you said, you know, whether it's a nagging back, whether it's just general dissatisfaction, whether it's toxicity. And again, I'm not passing judgment. I basically am somebody who believes that the most talented people in the world at their field, whether you're an engineer or a ball player or a candlestick maker, should be able to kind of call their own shot. They should be able to work where they want, for whom they want, in the city they want, right? But if you are concerned about parity, if you're concerned that there are 18 teams in the league, you know, that are constantly being besieged, that have no, that don't have a the mechanism to retain players to their satisfaction. I don't know if that's true or not. Again, I'm not passing judgment. Then, okay, this is a problem. 
if indeed you regard that as a problem. If you don't, then that's fine. If you think that, hey, hey, Sacramento, clean up your act. You know, Minnesota, get a clue and then guys will stay. Um, you know, then it's a different story. But I, I just disagree with you in that sense. I just don't think the Ben thing teaches us anything other than, hey, if you want out, come in. That is the new playbook. Well, I think I think it shows the hammer works. And to your point about just show up and and lollygag or whatever you whatever word you want to use for what James Harden did last year. I think one of the things we'll see as the CBA comes up again is teams. So you mentioned, you know, if teams can't don't have enough ammo to keep their own guys like that's what the supermax is supposed to be right that's what the designated player extension is supposed to be it's supposed to be the hammer that that other teams can't compete with and i think bobby marks has mentioned this in, in his piece and, we, and we've talked about it i think in the next cba you're going to see teams say okay if we give you the supermax this propose things like this if we give you the supermax and then we trade you because you want to be traded or because you've requested to be traded, or maybe even if we just trade you, your salary goes back down to the regular max. You forfeit that extra 5%. I even think we'll see owners, and this will be a blood issue for the players union, as it should be, try to find ways, and I've heard talk about this around the league, try to find ways to, in those situations where the player is there and functionally participating, but clearly participating in a way that is borderline sabotage, um, say, well, do we have any wiggle room for fines? Do we have any wiggle room for some financial penalty? And that will be a blood issue for the players union as it should be. But I think we are going to look for, I think owners are going to look for wiggle room in that regard. And let's call it what the wiggle room is. And I, I don't want to, you know, I know, I know we want to get to the confusing teams, but hard cap and, and maybe even get rid of the Mac, uh, star max, that combination. I mean, they're going to, they're going to fight for a hard cap next time. I'm, I'm becoming increasingly convinced of it. Well, that'll be a lockout. Um, or yeah. a strike. Um, can I give you my naive Ben Simmons take? Please. This might be naive. I'm not from Philadelphia. I've spent a lot of time in Philadelphia because I have friends and family there. I've been to a lot of Sixers games. But I'm not a Philadelphia person. So the Philadelphia listeners, and we all know what Philly sports fans are purported to be like and what they really are like, which is incredibly passionate and loyal to their teams. And they pay back loyalty to their teams and their city in spades. We all know that. Vociferous everything. So Philly fans can correct me if I'm wrong or if I'm being naive, but here's my naive take. There's been all this, like, he can't play in front of Sixers fans ever again. The bridge has been burned. They're going to boo him. I want to be in the arena because it's going to be the most vicious atmosphere in the history of Philadelphia sports since they threw snowballs at Santa Claus and all that stuff. Wait, they booed Mike I Schmidt in 85, dude. Hold on. They booed Mike Schmidt. That was the one I couldn't get past. And by the way, I love Philadelphia. I love going to cover stuff in Philadelphia. I love everything about Philadelphia. Oh, it's it's food, it's mundane, it most... corruption, all of it, right? But these people booed Mike Schmidt in 1985. I was so there. So I've called it the most underrated city in America. I love Philadelphia. It's an amazing city. None of this is about Philadelphia. The people of the city is amazing. I actually, so here's my thing. I think whether you're from Philadelphia or Boston or Los Angeles or wherever, I think people, what they really want is honesty, right? And I think if Ben Simmons went to the media and said, hey, look, I, I, I had a mental meltdown in the playoffs. I was afraid to get fouled. I haven't worked enough on my free throws. I, I own it. I, I spent a summer in mental anguish about it. I'm just making this up. I, I sought advice here. I sought advice there. I dug deep in my soul. I, 
I was a big reason we lost the series to the Atlanta Hawks because of fragility and weaknesses X, Y, and Z. And I'm not over it. I'm not sure I'm over it. These are really hard issues for me. Um, these, this, these parts of my game just haven't come along for whatever reason. I'm afraid to shoot jump shots. But I'm, gonna, I'm here and I'm going to try. And I'm going to prove to you that I'm going to try. I'm not going to be afraid to get fouled. I might shoot 30% from the line. I might have the yips. I'm going to take some threes. I'm going to take some mid-rangers. Like, I'm, I'm going to try. It might look embarrassing. But I'm going to give it a shot. And I own it. I think – and by the way, I'm sorry. Not I'm sorry, but I all of this trade stuff was a manifestation of all that. I'm happy to be here. I'm going to try my hardest. I think they would forgive him and cheer for him. I think people want honesty from athletes and public figures. And I think they would actually sort of re- – I think there is a world in which they re-embrace him. Maybe that is impossible because the feelings of bitterness are such that he would never, ever say that. But I think if he did, I think they would I think they would forgive him. I mean, I think it's probably even – the check is even lower. I mean, I think if he rejoins and they play and they're 25 and 8 and he's at 20, 12, and 9 and, you know, playing all pro defense, I think they'd forgive him. Right. Like I, I, I actually, I'm more cynical, which is generally fans base their love purely on performance um, or perceived performance, uh, not historical performance. Again, hence Mike Schmidt batting 200 in 1985, um, but just performance. And, and I think that it's actually easier than that. I don't even think the fans crave honesty. I just think they want, they want what they want. This is the lizard brain and they want wins and they want you to annihilate the other team um, while they're in the arena. And and to the extent that you are effective in doing so, you are a hero. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. For the ones who get it done! Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge, and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Okay, this is supposed to be our five most confusing teams podcast. We're not going to be able to get to five. Kevin Arnovitz, give me your most confusing team for the NBA season. All right, real quick disclaimer. When I say confusing, this is not, I don't know what your team is doing and your management is just bewildering. This is, I'm not sure how to handicap this team going into this year. Um, the elasticity of my range of expectations is enormous. You could win 25 games. You could win 50 games. I wouldn't be surprised. And in that respect, the Chicago Bulls are my first team. Wow. Interesting. They're not even on my list. Make the case for why the Chicago Bulls are confusing. And I hope it's a happy case more than a sad case. Because this could be a case of I, Kevin Arnovitz, think their floor is a 500 team and their ceiling is like a 53-win juggernaut. Or it could be a case, and this has been the more popular case in NBA nerddom, I think this is a 43-win team that might be a 35-win team. Which are you? Well, I... 
I mean, I know it sounds strange, like probably somewhere in between. Like I, I think, all right, so here are the attributes of a team that, that, that confuse me, right? Like, so you have DeMar DeRozan and we can talk about the, yes, the contract didn't make any sense, but he's there now, right? And this is one of the classic innings eaters in basketball. This is a high usage player who can create enough offense to win like road games in January against middling teams uh, or against a good team who's resting a guy. Um, you know, it's the same thing that you know, Westbrook will do for the Lakers, right? Um, D'Angelo Russell. Team floor raiser, like, baby. Right. Yeah, a floor raiser. Uh, I like innings eater. Um, he just he takes possessions. Uh, he's not exceptionally efficient, but but good enough to win ball games um, in an 82 game season. So, you know, you've got that. You've got some real shot creation, obviously, on this team with Tarosin, with Levine, Vucevic, um, Lonzo Ball. Uh, so, so you've got kind of you have a good half court creators you also have just a transitional menace and lonzo ball who by the way can defend a little bit one of the interesting things about chicago is i know they did most of their damage um before vooch was acquired you know when they when they had um you know thad young back there and 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 whatever but they were not as bad a defensive team as i think people realize um lonzo should make them better uh, they were about league average. Now, again, Vooch is, is, is sort of came in and, and he presents a, a, a somewhat of a problem. But they have these attributes of a team that can win games night in and night out. Um, and that's before you get to their young guys who are, who are still a little injured. Um, I'm a big Williams guy. I, I just think there's a lot there. They desperately need him because they don't really have any other fours, which, which is something that I would you know, in terms of my confusion, gives me a little pause. Like their rotation is just a well, little. They'll wacky. play. They'll play. DeRozan, they'll play DeRozan at, at the four. Exactly. I think quite a bit. They will. Um. Now, I'm not suggesting that's necessarily a recipe for success, but I don't know that they have much of a choice. They will play the sort of forward guard, four wing matchup. Um. I mean, you can slide Demar to the four. You can slide anybody at the four. The question is, is will it work? Um. You know, but I I just feel like they're a team that has enough above replacement players to possibly be interesting. And if they can stay healthy or in this case, get healthy, you know, they could win a fair number of games um, and eat beat up on the lower echelons of the Eastern conference, or they could be a team that has no defensive scheme that works. They were the least switchy team last year in the league. They're going to have to do a little more of that. Vooch is Vooch. Um, you know, Zach Levine. Yeah, I'm you not can't switch. You can't switch with Vooch. You can't exactly. switch with Vooch. Um, you, you know, you still have some real sore spots there with Levine. I'm not sure he's ever going to be completely interested in, in kind of becoming a defensive plus player. Um, you know, and, and, you know, Williams never gets right. Kobe White never gets right. And you're right. They're a 34 win team um, where DeRozan can win once a week, but once a week only gets you about 27 wins in this, in this league. Uh and that sort of the, the range. So I don't know which one they are. I, I tend to be a pessimist on the Bulls, but when I kind of keep looking, it's like, yeah, you know, there are there are there are a series of above average players here that could equate to I don't expect an Atlanta Hawks of last year, but they could be solidly in the seven eight. I find they are not on my list because I don't find myself confused about the Bulls. I will I will characterize my view on the Bulls as this. I think I'm slightly more optimistic than most national media and not nearly as optimistic as Bulls fans who really want everyone to say this is a 51 team no-brainer. Here's where I am with the Bulls. I think their floor is higher than some of the critics think that it is. So here's where I have I have the Bulls somewhere 6th, 7th or 8th in the East. 
I don't, depending on Simmons and health and lots of different things, because I think Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Miami, Atlanta, and the fully functioning Sixers are all better than uh, than Chicago. And I may be, and Boston as Boston, well. Boston, I was going to say. Um, so that's six right off the bat. But one of those teams will likely run into some roadblocks. The Sixers are uh, living with a rather large roadblock right now. And I think Chicago is right there with New York as the best team to sort of capitalize on those roadblocks and jump into the top six and jump out of the play-in. I don't see them barring injury. Now, depth is a big – is depth and defense are the obvious concerns with them. I think they're going to be a really dynamic offensive team. If they stay mostly healthy, relatively healthy – as healthy as you can expect an NBA team to stay, right? Not perfect health, not Suns last year health, but just like B health, letter grade B health. I don't see them falling much much more below that range. Like I don't see – I saw Hollinger, who I love, project them as like eight games under 500 and 11th in the East or something. I don't see that kind of floor for them. Maybe I'm, I'm wrong, but I just think on sheer talent and sheer offense, their floor probably stops at eighth or ninth, and their ceiling probably goes up to – fifth or fourth if a lot of things break right above them and for them so that's why i just see them right sandwich in that window so i i'm not confused by them so i don't know what that if that makes me a bulls optimist or a pessimist i don't know but that's where i see them and by the way with the on pat williams get healthy i'm super excited for him you want to go right on to your number two chicago is I, I think the source of confusion for me is you know where are they in the life cycle of a team Right. And and for whatever reason, they decided to accelerate. I don't know if that's ownership. Uh, I don't know if that's management. Uh, I don't know if that's just, hey, we saw an opportunity. But but to me, that probably is the source. Of, it's very rare you see sort of a team on a multi-track. You know, you, you know there's the sort of Sam Presti, hey, our guys, our young guys are going to grow together on a track. Or there's a sort of, hey, Phoenix, where we can, you know, we got some young guys. We're going to have some vets. We're going to have this alchemy. And, and I, Chicago, I'm not sure where they are right now. But, yeah, that's sort of uh, that, that's, I think the source of my confusion. is It's a team that accelerated quickly. Uh, but we don't know to what exact end. The answer is always ownership. Always right. ownership. Well, that's, that's my assumption. 90% of the time it's ownership. Yeah. Um, all right. Second most confusing team, Mr. Arnovitz. Go. I, I, you are steering the wheel. I think this is going to be on your list. The Dallas Mavericks. Oh for two, baby. Not confused oh, by them at all. Please make is that the case. What I chose kind of in like I, this was sort of my my own personal parlor game. Is I think Zach will have Dallas. Well, Dallas. I, I mean, I, I, to me, it's it, the, the source of confusion is pretty obvious. I mean, usually when you have this generational talent, I mean, I'm talking about a top five guy. There's a high floor, right? This is the NBA. A top five player guarantees that you can almost he can drag you by the scruff of your neck to the sixth seed. That's kind of how this league works. Um, but like, what else do they have? And this is not an original take. Um, you know, I'm I, I'm looking at the depth. I'm looking at where does shot creation come, if not from Luca. Acknowledging that when you have a guy like Luca with the ball in his hands all the time, with the ability to create anything for any guy at any spot at any time, it's less of a concern. But I'm just trying to see how they are going to manufacture shots that aren't manufactured by Luca. I like that Brunson's in the, you know, I, I feel better about their second unit, but still, there's just not man, I I, I worry when I look down at, at kind of two through fifteen, including KP, right? I, I mean, where is Porzingis gonna kind of land um in terms of usage, right? Is you know, what is he in the grand scheme of that offense? Um I'd feel better if I knew where they were going to come in defensively. Um, they haven't been great. They've actually not been very good. 
Uh, I assume they'll get better, but that assumption's based on what? Uh, okay, they'll have Powell at the five and KP at the four, maybe. I, I, there's just a lot I don't know. I don't know how to handicap a team with the transcendent talent. Some other very good players. In fact, I can't identify, oh, that guy sucks. Ugh, what are they doing with him? Like, everybody has their value. Um, you know, Finney Smith has his value. Uh, again, I, I mentioned, like, Maxi Kleba has his value. I think, you know, there are a number of guys who each in a vacuum I like as role players, but I'm just having trouble seeing mass shot creation with a defense that's much above average, and yet this is the Luka Doncic Mavericks um, as he is growing, and I, I just can't see them also much lower than six. So I, I'm trying to find where my expectations for them lie. So my expectations, I'm I'm higher on the Mavericks than almost anybody. And I think a lot of my being high on the Mavericks is that I was super, super high on the healthy Clippers. And the Mavericks have won zero playoff series with Luka Doncic. So you can take it or leave it. You can take that for what it's worth. I have enough respect for the Clippers. Like they may have won the championship last year had Kawhi Leonard not gotten injured or made the finals at least. Um, I have enough respect from the Clippers that those six-game and seven-game losses where Luka looked as unstoppable and scheme-proof as any NBA superstar, period. I, I, I just see Luka plus shooting plus three and D guys plus a bounce back for Porzingis, which may happen and may not, um, as a really, really good team. And in a year where with Jamal Murray hurt and Kawhi Leonard hurt, there's a little bit of a power vacuum at the top of the West – I think they should be a no-brainer top six team. Like, play-in should not be a worry for them, although it's a worry for every- everyone in the West is one injury away from the play-in tournament. The Lakers were in the play-in tournament last season. Okay, so if you think that's hyperbolic, it's not. Um, but I think they should be really good with an outside chance of maybe making the finals if a lot of things go right. Like, that's how high I am on Luka. But to me, the reason they're not on my list is, A, um, I think they're just really good, and B, the biggest reason for confusion, the biggest wild card, the biggest X factor in the entire league, and it's so obvious that it doesn't really need to be analyzed all that much, is Jason Kidd. If Rick Carlisle was still the coach of the Mavericks, I would be super excited about the Mavericks. Jason Kidd just has to answer a lot of questions. To your point, how do we want to defend? Are we really serious about taking the ball out of Lucas' hands and posting KP and doing X, Y, and Z? Should we do that? The lack of a secondary creator doesn't bother me all that much because I think at least in the regular season – they can scrounge a facsimile of that player from Tim Hardaway Jr., a little bit more of KP, some Jalen Brunson off the bench. Like, the regular season is different than the playoffs. In the playoffs, all of a sudden, like, Jalen Brunson can't play as much. Tim Hardaway Jr. has a harder time off the dribble, yada, yada. But I'm not that confused by the Mavs. I just think they're going to be a good, a good, solid team. And, and if they're not, a lot of it will be coaching, which is an obvious issue that we can see coming a mile away. I mean, I, I think Kidd will go more aggressively defensively, which was his tendency in Milwaukee. Um, they weren't great in deep drops with Powell and KP. I mean, that, that's what's sort of interesting. I mean, I think they have a lot of questions defensively, and that I'm probably one of the reasons I'm a little less for sure. than you. But again, the reason I'm confused is I think you could be right. I have no idea what this team will do. They could be 500. I would not be surprised, you know. Sixth offensively, twenty-first defensively, blah. Or they could be fifty-four, fifty-five wins. I, it would not surprise me. I have no idea, but that's why they're on my list. Can I take the steering wheel now and pick one of, of my course, most confusing teams for the season? Maybe my number one. Maybe my number one. I didn't order them all that carefully, uh, but a team that I always seem lower on than consensus, and usually 
ends the season flipping all of its skeptics a big double bird and saying, hey, remember you when you picked us to miss the playoffs? We're the fifth seed. Yeah, we might get swept, but we're the fifth seed. And that's the Indiana Pacers who have the aforementioned Rick Carlisle as their new head coach replacing the tire fire that was the Nate Bjorkman era when Goga Batazzi and Greg Foster almost got in a fight on national TV. That was one of the, that was the, the best moment of the Indiana Pacers season in 2021 was Goga and Greg Foster nearly fighting on television during a game. Um, they have TJ Warren is still injured. Karis LeVert has a minor injury. I think he's back soon. They still have the double-barreled center of Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis, although Rick Carlisle is doing some really interesting stuff. Caitlin Cooper uh, for Indy Cornrows wrote a great piece about the Pacers' preseason offense, I think, today. They have a couple of rookies who might be ready to chip in, and Chris Duarte and Isaiah Jackson. Torrey Craig and Justin Holiday and Jeremy Lamb is sort of it's a decent cadre of backup wings, one of whom is probably going to have to start pretty soon. I just can never figure out this team, Kevin. I just can't get a – every year we're like, is the clock ticking on Turner Sabonis? And the clock just like stopped ticking four years ago. I just – it stopped. Um, Brogdon and Lavert is like – Brogdon, Lavert, and Sabonis is like a weird mix of dudes who all need the ball but all like to do very different things and all have different skill sets with it. I just feel like it's a lot of puzzles to solve. Rick Carlisle is an incredible puzzle solver. Like Brogdon – Brogdon, Lavert, Warren, Sabonis, Turner. Now Warren's not available yet, right? Etc. And neither is Lavert. But that five-man lineup on sheer talent is the starting lineup of, of a solid playoff team. The bench, we'll see how it how it goes. Other than T.J. McConnell robbing Banks in the backcourt, um, but I just something indefinable to me in my gut leaves me a little cold on these guys. I don't know if it's the the Many guys needing the ball, but the shooting not being amazing, the double yeah. center thing. I just something is leaving me cold. Can you please talk me out of it? Are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? What am I missing with this team? I'm a little more. I mean, I'm I'm probably a little pessimistic. And by the way, it's a roster filled of guys I've always really liked. I'm a, I'm a Brogdon man. Never kind of got over that in, in Milwaukee. Uh, I believe in Miles Turner. Sabonis is a fun, aggro, funny basketball player who can just fill it up. Uh, God, I just I need, and this is where maybe Duarte helps. Like, I just need a. Oh, God, can I find a big wing who can shoot? I need somebody who can shoot. Like TJ really Warren well. is supposed to be. Everyone TJ can Warren, shoot a little. Wants to be everyone, huh? That's supposed to be TJ Warren. He's supposed to be the starting three who gives you, and I think he's become a decent to good defensive player. But then you have like bubble TJ Warren who wants the ball and to score all the time. I don't know how that meshes with the other guys, but again, on sheer talent, that's what TJ Warren is for this group. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's funny. I just feel like it is a little bit of a whack-a-mole team, right? Like 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 Sabonis. I, I, Sabonis hasn't helped me defensively, and, and I just in, in terms of that team, I love Turner. Um, you know, I just feel like he's not a guy whose offensive game is rhythmic in a way that a big has to be right now. And there's a lot about Turner. I like I, he's on the floor for me, right? Um, Brogdon and Levert are also both in terms of durability. I think you have to make the assumptions when handicapping the Indiana Pacers that they're going to have a pack court that is going to have holes over the course of the season that will need to be filled. Um, you know, neither guy has you know, kind of a history of, of durability. Um, but again, I just kind of go back to the shooting, and I don't think the defense is elite enough where you can just kind of grind out wins. I, I just, you know, Sabonis, uh, Turner, yes. Brogdon, 
Yes, from a physicality standpoint, point of attack, blowing up screens. Yes. He's not the quickest, but I really like him defensively. Levert, I don't know. Uh, so I, I just like, okay, where's my ceiling for this team offense uh, defensively? The ceiling, uh, it's Carlisle. So I'll, I'll give it a little bit of a bump. But, I mean, what is it for you, Zach? It's 10 for me. What is it for you? Well, it is, when I did my tiers last week, so I mentioned my top six in the East are Brooklyn, Milwaukee, again, in some order after Brooklyn, Milwaukee. Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Boston, Atlanta, Miami, Philadelphia with a, with a Simmons side, size asterisk. Uh, and then I think Chicago and New York are seven and eight for me. I actually had Charlotte as kind of my ninth team in that Chicago, New York tier, and then Indiana, so 10. That, But that's more like that's my kind of expectation slash floor for them. I, I just – on talent, they should be – if you told me they end up fourth or fifth, I wouldn't be surprised just on, on, on sheer talent. But I just – the roadmap between here and there is murkier for me. And this is a very different kind of Rick Carlisle team. Like Rick Carlisle in Dallas – was really settled in on I want to dive man center and shooting everywhere. He doesn't have neither Turner nor Sabonis is a great dive man. Sabonis wants to be a facilitator. Miles Turner effectively became a stretch four on offense. Um, and they have this sort of more egalitarian ball handling distribution. And, and I think one of the sort of maybe unspoken questions of the season, and I spoke it a little bit in my column today, is, I'm curious to see how committed Rick Carlisle is to the Sabonis-Turner pairing. For a guy who has erred on shooting, 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 Miles Turner, as you said, is sort of a mechanical playmaker with the ball. Shows flashes now and then, but just it hasn't been more than flashes. I wonder how committed he is to that. Look, maybe he doesn't have a choice because they are, you know, take your pick, the second and third best, the fourth, third and fourth best players on the team, the first and third best players on the team. I mean, Sabonis is either – Sabonis is the best player on the team. Um so I, I do, but I just – so that's my Indian. Yeah, I just I mean, don't – could to they structure. be fourth? Yes. Could they be tenth? Yes. That's right. that's why I'm confused. Right. So, I mean, because it's just hard to structure an offense that way, right? Like, you again, you know, you don't have a committed role man. Um, you don't have a kind of a pure pick-and-roll guard. You don't have – and I don't, I, don't, I don't think I would guard Brogdon and Libertas. And, and that's fine. It's nothing – there's nothing wrong with that. Some of my favorite players are not pure pick and roll guards, but it's just hard to structure an offense. And, and to some extent with this personnel, it's a little easier a defense um, around those attributes. And it's not that Carlisle is a committed structuralist. Lord knows. I mean, when, you know, kind of when, when things went great in Dallas, it was largely by loosening structure. Um, but I, I just think you kind of have to find a template and a mold. And by the way, that might take 15, 20 games. In which case you might be seven and well, you just great twelve, right? You just nailed this sort of ephemeral, intangible discomfort I have with them. Is they had a new coach last year, it did not go well, and that coach tried a bunch of really out of the box stuff on both ends of the floor, defensively, offensively, gimmick defenses, everything. That's gone. He's gone. Here comes a new coach, who so he's new. The roster is now going to have to adapt from the way they played last year after adapting from the way they played under Nate McMillan to Rick Carlisle, who's trying all this new stuff in in the preseason. It just feels like there's a lot for them to solve in the first 20 to 25 games. Now, NBA players are really, really good and really, really smart, and they tend to solve these problems much more easily than a lot of us anticipate. So maybe Indiana comes roaring out of the gates and it's fine. I will just be very interested to see their first 20 games. And if you if they get behind the eight ball, 
things might get tough. But they are they are a confusing team for me uh, as usual. All right, give me give me your third uh, confusing team. Um, the Los Angeles Clippers. Like how yes, good we have one in common, and yes. we have breaking news to discuss about the Clippers. Oh. Mark Spears of the undefeated, my friend Mark Spears, broke the news just a little bit ago. Terrence Mann has signed a two-year, $22 million contract extension Fantastic. with the Los Angeles Clippers, which is sort of which is sort of the Josh Richardson, Norm Powell, most you can get for a second-round pick kind of deal, although short on years. I think it's a great deal for the Clippers. I think it's a great deal for him. I think Terrence Mann is one of the most important players in the league over the next two seasons because when Kawhi comes back, whether it's this year or next year, this team is full go to try to win the title. And I don't think what we saw from him in the playoffs was a fluke, Terrence Mann. Now, maybe the – I think he shot like 45% from three. That's not going to sustain. I think he's a good basketball player. He brings a rim-attacking dimension that they really, really needed last season. And just sort of – every team just needs sort of a chaos factor to it. And the Clippers really need a chaos factor, and that's him. So that's the breaking news. I think we both probably like that deal. So you can segue from there into why are the Clippers, who are on my list as well, why are they on your list? I mean, just to do man for a second. I, you know, I had somebody in the league interest, said something interesting last preseason, which is they were going to judge the Clippers as an organization on how Terrence Mann developed. Uh, I told this to a, a high-ranking a Clipper official who was completely annoyed by it. Um, but what I think the person meant Chuck was... Chuck the Condor? Chuck yeah, the Chuck Condor the, didn't... Chuck the Condor didn't like that? Um, it, it's just like... For all... The, you know, one of the great flaws of the Lob City team, besides the dynamic or whatever was missing or the chemistry, etc., was, you know, when you looked around at the elite of the Western Conference last decade, it was, you know, pretty much the ability for these teams to mine second round draft picks and buying guys off the scrap team is how the Spurs did this thing. And, and the Warriors, you forget um, yeah, with Draymond, every, everything else is the Clippers never, n- they never found anything that wasn't completely obvious. They populated their roster with, you know, Hegu Turgaloo and, and has-beens and guys who played really well against them. Um, and man was kind of the first guy to come along in some time, really since Deandre where, Hey, can this, organization show its metal beyond just spending a lot of money or kind of claiming Los Angeles as a market or building something fancy um, by actually kind of getting the most out of a guy. And I love man for that. Um, every, one of my favorite things to do is watch Terrence man on a possession late in the shot clock or a broken play for the Clippers. He will run every single time to the dunker spot on the weak side. And he will get the ball either because there will be a, a, a an offensive rebound, a guy will find him in the seam. But um, all that, like, it's funny. He he takes a ton of shots, I think the majority of shots at the rim, but it ain't because he's, like, driving all the time. It's because he finds his way to the rim and just is a magnet for opportunity. And I'm, I'm a huge man guy. Um, they're confusing because, you know, it's hard to extract Kawhi you know, from the lineup and say, okay, how good is this team without Kawhi? Well, if they're 58 wins with them, surely Kawhi is with X wins. Or can kind of the, everybody else sort of play up a level and can you somehow fill the vacancy left by this guy who can annihilate opponents? 
um, with the margin of growth for the other guys. And I don't know how good a Paul George-led team with a lot of interesting role players and finally some guards who know how to get to the hoop. Um, Reggie Jackson was sort of a revelation, not that we haven't seen him play. Um, he's always been a good pick-and-roll point guard. He was great for them last postseason. Does that stay? I don't know. Never loved him defensively, never been a Reggie guy. But I did see something new from him last postseason. Um, man is a question mark, as you said. There's just a lot of... There's a lot of flow here. They could win 52 games. I would not be surprised. They could be a game or two below 500 by January 1st, and I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I was surprised how bullish Vegas and a lot of analysts are on them. I, I get why. They're deep. Even without Kawhi, they're pretty deep. They're kind of tough and nasty and should remain a good defensive team. I think they were like 10th in defense last year. Eighth, I think, eighth in defense by the end of the year. Um, they're deep in wings with man having emerged along with Marcus Morris. But, too, I mean, Morris is more of a four, but whatever. You get what I'm saying. Interchangeable 6A players. Um, Luke Kennard, I think, will get every chance to remain in the rotation this year if he just freaking shoots the ball when he's even semi-open. Um, <laughs> Justice Winslow, maybe we'll get a chance. The Jason Preston injury, their second-round pick, that actually hurts. I think he was ready to play for them. So, I, you know – I get why there's some bullishness to the to the projections. Like I've seen 48 wins, 47 wins, 46 wins. I'm a little lower than that, although they're on my confusing list because I get why people are are a little optimistic to that degree. T to me, the the most interesting part of the league is these five teams: Warriors, Nuggets, Mavericks. We already talked about Blazers, Clippers. That's five. Above them in the West, I have Utah, Lakers, Suns. Right. So three, five, that's eight. That means if, if, if indeed the Lakers, the Jazz, and the Suns are safe from the play-in, that means two of Warriors, Nuggets, Mavs, Blazers, Clippers are at best, two of the two bottom of those teams will be in the play-in or worse. And to me, I think the Clippers are the worst of those five teams. I think they are at greatest risk of all of them to be in the play-in. And the question I have is, is, I, my questions are all about offense, and and that may sound crazy considering that they looked so good playing without any centers in the playoffs. Drive, kick, three. Drive, kick, three. I don't know how much they're going to get to that look once Ibaka comes back. Maybe it doesn't matter because he's basically another spot-up shooter as a center at this point. But their offense was third in the league last year, and it fell to about average when Kawhi was on the bench, even when Paul George was on the floor. And more to the point, it was completely, to an alarming degree, reliant on unbelievable jump shooting on twos and threes. They should be a good jump shooting team because they got a bunch of good jump shooters. I'm just a little bit worried how much of a hit does that take without Kawhi. They've got to integrate Eric Bledsoe and right now, I guess, start him with Zubat so you have two non-spacers. I could see their offense falling from like third to 12th. 15th, 16th, I don't know. Like Paul George, number one option, it looked good in the playoffs in, in very specific circumstances. I'm not sure how it looks for 82 games. I just, I'm a little, I'm a little worried about their offense. That makes sense, right? The historic, and it was historic, three-point shooting, even if it regresses slightly, taking into account, as you said, that they're good shooters. Yeah, that's a problem because, you know, it's going to be that much less efficient. Um I, you know, it's funny, you know, one of the big, I, and I thought somewhat silly talking points around them last year was point guard, point guard, what are you going to do at point guard? And I am someone who recognizes the look, yes, we're in a position as 
positionless era, but you still need someone who can get the team into the offense. I think Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are, are, are fine at that, especially when you have playmakers like Batum. Um, but this year, you know, it's funny. They come back with two guys they didn't start last year who, who frankly, weren't a huge part of the regular season. Uh, certainly, obviously, Bledsoe and, and Jackson. Um, I, I, I don't I don't worry too much about the spacing issues as much. I know Bledsoe sort of invites that. I think there's enough creation off the dribble to kind of muddle things up for a defense to kind of compromise a defense to get looks, whether it's for Morris, whether it's for occasionally Batum. I think Kadard can be better than he was. Again, it may be an issue of confidence. Um, I also think it could be an issue of comfort. Um, and, I, and I think obviously in Paul George, who's a fantastic shooter. Um, you know, it's funny when he was in OKC, I think he was the best catch and shoot player in, in basketball um, statistically. So I, I don't worry so much about that. Like, I think it is one of those things where Kawhi's gravity, yes, is going to demand a little more creation from everybody else because now, you know, the defense has, has, has can distribute its attention. But I think there's enough there. I think there's enough structure to an offense. I think Ty is good enough tactically to find a greatest, uh, you know, kind of a selection of greatest hits that works schematically within an offense. Like, I think he's a guy, he's a coach who can manufacture packages that will work, you know, whether that is for, you know, Paul George swinging around screen, something he doesn't love doing, but it's something he's really good at. Whether it is pick and roll sets with, you know, Zubats and Jackson, you've got a dive man and you've got the rest of the floor lifted. Like, I think there's enough that can be manufactured. And that's why I'm kind of a clipper. I'm, I'm a little bit bullish this year. But again, I'm confused. If you told me they were playing, they were on the road for the play-in game, wouldn't be surprised. If you told me they were hosting game one as a four or three seed, would not be surprised. I'm officially calling Clippers are in the play-in tournament one way. Whether road, home, I don't think they're going to make the top six. I will say on the Bledsoe thing, will not surprise me at all if by game 10, He's coming off the bench, yeah. or at least they try him coming off the bench to break up him and, and Reggie Jackson. Who I think, by the way, I think Reggie Jackson, the playoffs may have overstated what Reggie Jackson is going to be, but I think he's going to be a real productive player for their team. He shot the three well the year before the bubble year. I think Reggie Jackson is back to the degree that he was ever going to be back, and he's going to play well for the Clippers. But I could see them starting, whether it's Kennard, Batum, even Mann, in place in place of Bledsoe and seeing how that works but that that's my Clippers take can we do do we have time to do one more can we do one more will you indulge me it's supposed to be five most confusing teams let's pick one more oh you want me to go again go uh this is pursuant to our conversation last year the Boston Celtics I was much more bullish on them than you were last year you had some skittishness you were correct I was wrong I went with hey you put those five guys on the floor and they're going to be plus whatever um they had issues uh, they're confusing to me again because I still can't let go of the fact that I think this is this close to being a pretty elite Eastern Conference team that can play with the big boys, and yet there are clearly some issues of depth, um, some issues of fit, and frankly, just some stuff we don't know yet. And so that is why I'm confused by the Boston Celtics. Uh, I tend to be more bullish on them than most in the national media, despite the fact that I'm perceived to be less, I don't know why, from Boston fans. Um, but uh, you kind of you were correct last year in, in sort of tempering my enthusiasm. What do you think? Well, we're going the other way this year because I'm bought in. I'm okay. In. And by bought in, I don't I, – let, let's, let's not go crazy. I think they could finish third in the East. I'm not picking them to finish third in the East. I'm picking Atlanta to finish third in the East in the regular season. But I think Boston could. 
I think their defense is going to be great. I'm expecting Time Lord to make a leap. Uh, and I actually am mm-hmm. not concerned about their depth. I think, you know, if, if you assume for at least in some games, their starting five is Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Al Horford, Time Lord, that still gives me coming off the bench Josh Richardson, who I think, look, he's been disappointing the last two seasons. Uh, the Philly team was completely dysfunctional, and he had COVID last year, and was just it was a tough year in Dallas. Uh, I like both Neesmith and Peyton Pritchard. Uh, Schroeder was a steal as a backup point guard. I think they'll get something out of the Grant Williams, Jabari Parker, Wancho Hernan Gomez backup power forward brigade, uh, and Canner is a break in case of emergency third center. Like I, I think they go legit. 10 to 12 deep and good or at least not damaging NBA players. So, and that to me is the best way to just scrounge out 48 regular season wins. It doesn't make you contender, but if you can just play every second of the game and last year they couldn't last year, there was just like a whole lot of dudes who are, are sub replacement players playing minutes for Boston. I think they're going to play a lot of decent players, a lot of minutes, and I think they're going to be really good. I don't think they're necessarily exciting or contenders, until they find the right third piece around the two stars. But I think they're just a good, solid team. I'm not confused by them at all. In fact, I will be very, very surprised if they finish anywhere that's not third, fourth, fifth, or sixth. No, no, again, I mean, my instinct is to be bullish. And, I, and you know, Schroeder can drive the ball to the basket, which is something they've desperately needed, you know, because it, it just didn't work with Kemba because uh, for, for health reasons. It's not Smart's real game. Um, and I love that piece for them. Like, you know, I know it's funny, like Schroeder, look, we all made some, you know, bad decisions contractually, you know, with the extension in Los Angeles, like left money on the table. Um, you know, people had a degree of schadenfreude for that, for whatever reason, didn't really work in Los Angeles as well as hoped. I think people forget that he's still a really good third guard. Um, and, and, and can potentially start games for you if need be. He can get the ball to the basket, which you know, with this particular roster is, is extremely helpful at that position. And I'm with you. I don't, you know, Oh, is Al a four or five? Oh, who cares? He can do two things. He can, or it's three things. He can space, he can pass and he can switch out on a pick and roll um, as well as any big in the league. Not as well as he used to, cause he's a little older, but I don't care if it's four or five. And again, and people forget that Williams can pass too. I mean, he's a big man who can, who has skills. So yeah. And Josh Richardson, again, not going to help them as a shooter, but is very passable in a lot of different categories, including what should be a top five defense for me. So, okay. And it's this, it's the old heuristic, right? Like if they're a number five defense and they're a number 12 offense, I got news for you. I mean, that's a team, as you said, that's going to be in the top four in the Eastern conference um, and possibly, you know, second or third. So that's where that's my optimism. Um, My temp pessimism is just, I got burned last year for being optimistic. But I still intellectually kind of feel like I've talked myself into the fact that this is a really good basketball team. Well, you've got to go. Yeah, I got to go to Charlotte. My just just for just for posterity's sake, the other teams on my list were Memphis, Portland, and just I just New Orleans is just always on the list. Uh-huh. We should just name the podcast New Orleans and four other confusing teams in the NBA. So New those Orleans are the other was ones my, my other start- team, and I held them back because I always do them, and I didn't think that was fair. Well, and they have looked like a big poo-poo platter in the preseason. Of course, Zion hasn't played. Zion hasn't run or done contact or anything yet after a foot 
after a broken bone in his foot, which just doesn't seem great. All right, Mr. Arnovitz, go to Charlotte. We'll talk soon. Thank you for your time, sir. Good to have you back. Great to be back. Thanks for having me. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.